Turn them to the book of Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah chapter 35, we're going to read the whole chapter, it's 10 verses. And I want to preach a message tonight I've entitled Strengthening Our Weakness. And I don't know if I'm on a theme lately or I think I preached on Titus and just a week ago or so, but I came across this thought, and it really is something I think that would help us to look at tonight, is that all of us have weaknesses, and we know that God has promised in his word that my strength is made perfect in weakness, but if we are not careful, we can begin to excuse our weaknesses through this promise and say, well, that's a weak area of my life, and I need God to help me. There's not much I can do. That's not, you know, that's not my gift. That's not my strength. And we kind of dismiss that area of our lives as us needing to pay any attention to it or put any effort towards. But there's many other challenges in the Bible to not only trust God to make his strength perfect in our weakness, but for us to focus on our weaknesses and to strengthen our weaknesses. Our lives can become richer, and we can enter into greater dimensions of God's will for our lives as we develop areas we have never thought of or worked on because I'm not good at that. That's not my strength. And many times we just dismiss that area of our lives. I read a book when I was a kid, about uh, Bob Cousy. Now, most of you probably don't know who Bob Cousy was. He was a guard for the Boston Celtics, I believe. Is that, hey, he, he, Andy knows who he was. Hallelujah. But anyway, he, uh, he was a guard for the Boston Celtics when they had many of their championships back in the day. And uh, one, one thing that it talked about Bob Cousy is that there was a point where he broke his arm. I don't remember if he was right-handed or left-handed. I believe he was right-handed. But he had broke his dominant arm. And so this forced him to learn how to dribble and learn how to shoot with his left hand. And he talked about how that event actually changed his whole game and made him become a much, he was already a good basketball player, but he became a much better basketball player as he developed his left, his left hand, his left hand was clumsy. His left hand was awkward, was uncoordinated. But because his right arm was in a cast, he had to develop that, that arm. And it changed his whole game. And I believe it's also true in our lives that as we develop areas of our lives that we're awkward at, that we're weak at, that we're not good at, that it can change your whole Christian game. And so I want to read Isaiah 35, 1 through 10. You'll, you'll say, what does this text have to do with it? It'll, it'll become clear in a moment. So uh, be, become clear as mud pretty quick. So Isaiah 35, verse 1. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and seeing the glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The excellence of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. 
Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. And the habitation of jackals where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and a road. It shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go upon it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. With everlasting joy on their heads, they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And I want to begin tonight and talk about addressing our weak side or the weak points of our lives. In our scripture, God is moving in a fresh way in his people. He's bringing revival. He's promising and speaking revival to his people. But out of that, he begins to challenge them to address the weak areas of their lives. In verses 3, 4, and 6, he says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful-hearted, Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Verse 6, Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. And so he's addressing them and telling them, Hey, you know, strengthen the weak hands. Strengthen the feeble knees. Address these areas of weakness in your life. And he said he wants them to do this in light of the revival that he's bringing. Listen to it in the New Living Translation. Even the wilderness, Isaiah 35, 1 through 3. Even the wilderness and desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing in joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plain of Sharon. Then there the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God. With this news, strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. With this news, strengthen the weak hands and encourage those who have weak knees. So he's talking about addressing weak areas of our lives. With this news. I'm moving in revival. I'm doing something new. I'm doing something fresh. I want you to focus on the weak areas. This is a response to revival. If we do not address the weak areas of our lives, they can sabotage and shipwreck our faith. They can hinder our walk with God. Hebrews 12, 12 and 13 is a quote actually from this text uh, where where, uh, Paul, I believe it is, that wrote this, said, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. And so what he's saying is, hey, you can't ignore the lame and weak places of your life. 
Because if you ignore them and you don't deal with them, they're going to sabotage you at some point. And he talks about the danger of the lame or weak areas being dislocated. Look, there's a big difference between a sprained knee and a dislocated knee. <laughs> there's a big difference between a sprained ankle and a dislocated ankle. And what Paul is saying there is that if you don't address the weak areas of your life, uh, it can dislocate things, sabotage your ability to walk, sabotage your ability to advance uh, in your walk with God and to prosper in the things of God. This is really true in the arena of sins and habits. You know, when, when, when those weak areas, we just ignore them or dismiss them or just tolerate them. He says, hey, at some point, that's going to dislocate you. At some point, that's going to sabotage your faith. King David is dying in uh, First Samuel or Second Samuel 2, or Second Chronicles 2, rather. First Kings 2. And he's dying, and he's giving instructions to Solomon on wisdom and running the kingdom. He's giving a lot of instructions. He knows he's about to die, and he's trying to set Solomon up with the building of the temple and different instructions. But he's also settling some scores of some people that betrayed him, and he knows these people would become a problem to Solomon, so he's giving him wisdom about how to deal with them. And one of them is a man named Shimei. You know the story of Shimei. Shimei cursed David when he was fleeing from Absalom. I didn't put this scripture in there, but I'll just go ahead and read it. 2 Samuel 16, 5 through 8. Now when King David came to Berhem, remember when Absalom wanted to overthrow the kingdom and take the kingdom from David, uh, David fled for his life. And so this is where this picks up. Now when King David came to Berhem, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. Coming from there, he came out cursing continually as he came. And he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. Also Shimei said thus when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your evil, in your own evil, because you're a bloodthirsty man. So, so he's using this opportunity where David's running to, to throw stones at him and curse at him and say, See, I knew this was going to happen to you. Now, if you read later, when David came back, he's, hey, man, I'm really sorry about that stuff I said, you know. But anyway, so David's dealing with this. David eventually returned. Shimei apologized to him. And so he kind of smoothed things over. But he's still, still a wicked guy. And so David's giving Solomon instructions in 1 Kings 2, verses 8 and 9. He says, and you see, I'm going somewhere We're with this with the sermon. So just hang on a second. He says, and see, you have with you Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite from Behurim, who cursed me with a malicious curse in the day when I went to Mahanaim. And he came down to meet me at the Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with a sword. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless. For you are a wise man and know what you ought to do to him, but don't bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood. But, but bring his gray hair down gray hair down to the grave with blood 
And so David's telling Solomon, hey, look, this guy is a bad guy. You know, this guy betrayed me. He said, I don't know how you're going to take him out, but you'll know what to do. Now, Solomon, we know, was the wisest man. He was the wisest man on the earth. And so it says in 1 Kings 2, I'm going to read verses 36 through 43 and 46. Then the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there. And do not go out from there anywhere. For it shall be on the day that you go out and cross the brook Kidron. Know for certain that you shall die. Your blood shall be on your own head. And Shimei said to the king, The, the saying is good. As my lord the king has said, so your servant shall do. So Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days. Now it happened at the end of three years that two slaves of Shimei ran away to Achish, the son of Makkah, king of Gath. And they told Shimei, say, look, your slaves are in Gath. So Shimei arose, saddled his donkey, and went to Achish at Gath to seek his slaves. And Shimei went and brought his slaves from Gath. And Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had come back. Then the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Did I not swear, make you swear by the Lord and warn you, saying, No for certain, that on the day you go out and travel anywhere, you shall surely die. And you said to me, The word I heard was, is good. Why then have you not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I gave you? Verse uh, uh, 46, it says, So the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck him down, and he died. Thus the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. And so what happened was Solomon tells Shimei, look, build your house in Jerusalem. Just don't leave Jerusalem. In light of the trouble you've had in the past, I don't want you to go anywhere outside of Jerusalem. Why did he do this? Because he knew Shimei had a weakness, that he was, he was a man who ventured outside the boundaries around his life. He knew at some point that he would not be able to stay within those boundaries. He knew that was his weakness. And so he didn't set up some, you know, weird thing to, to kill him or anything. He just said, hey, just stay here in Jerusalem. Build a house in Jerusalem. Be blessed. Have a good life. But he knew his weakness. And his weakness dislocated him. His weakness caused him to lose his life. And so the devil knows our weaknesses. The devil knows our weaknesses. I'm not saying Solomon's, I'm just saying, you know, the enemy knows our weaknesses. And if we don't develop those weaknesses, if we don't address those weaknesses, those will be the things that can dislocate us or sabotage our faith. How many of you know when you get saved, you get tempted in some familiar way? I remember people when I got saved, just, uh, I happened to you, the biggest tightwads I ever knew in my life all of a sudden wanted to buy me drugs and alcohol. <laughs> hey, I'll buy. Come on, let's, let's, let's go to the bar. I'll buy. What? You've never bought a drink in your life. You've never bought any drugs in your life. All of a sudden, that girl or that guy is interested in you. He was never interested. Where were you when I was a sinner? <laughs> See, the enemy knows our weaknesses. And the enemy will try to exploit that weakness to dislocate your faith. So I want to talk next about developing our weak side. You know, part of the gospel is God setting us up to develop weak areas of our lives. Matthew 5, 29 and 30, Jesus said, 
If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, there's a lot here. But I don't believe what Jesus is. Let me just give you a story. Years ago, I was following up on a young convert and, and, you know, dealing with him about some areas of his life. And so, you know, I dealt with him for a couple weeks. And one night I'm at home, I get a call from Keno Hospital Psych Ward. And so uh, he says, hey, I'm down here at the hospital. And so uh, he was actually in part of the hospital. He was in the psych area of it. And so I go in the hospital, and uh, this young man had a patch over his eye. And so I said, man, what happened, you know? And he says, well, I, st- I-, I stole the car. I stole the car, and, uh, and after I stole the car, I pulled it over, and I realized I had lusted after this car. And so Jesus said, if you're right, I offend you, pluck it out. So he took a fork and dug his eye out. I know that's gross, but... But that's not what Jesus is saying here, okay? Can, can, we, can we make that clear that Jesus isn't saying that? I know, I, I hesitated, but it, that was something that did happen. So it's like, it blew me. Like, I'm in the hospital. I'm looking at this guy. With this, with this, I'm like, that's not what the Bible, you know, that's not, what, that's not his intention here. So I think that's what Jesus is shooting for. When he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. I think what Jesus is saying is that sometimes what you're dominant at, what you're good at, doesn't necessarily translate in the kingdom. You know, most people, if you're left-handed, I'm not trying to offend you tonight, okay, but most people are right-handed, okay? And that's why if you look in the Bible, it talks about, you know, Jesus at the right hand of the Father. You know, so it's a place of power. It's a place of strength. Your right hand's usually more coordinated. You know, you can use it. And, and everything you do is that your body, you know, follows the right side. Uh, most people have a dominant eye. I learned this from a hunter. And, and um, that if you hold your hand up and focus on an object and, and you close each eye, sometimes with one eye it'll disappear. With the other eye, it'll be in view. You can just hold it up, focus on an object, close one eye. It'll go out of you, open the other eye. And so what happens is you have a dominant eye, and your other eye follows that eye. Your other eye works in tandem with that dominant eye. This is a fact. And so, in other words, your body follows your dominant side. And sometimes our dominant side is our flesh. (laughs) And when we get saved, Jesus said, hey, you're going to have to cut some things off that you're good at. And you might have to focus on some things that you're not good at. You're going to have to develop some weak areas of your life. You know, if you're good at selling drugs, seducing the opposite sex, manipulating people, that's not a good fit for the kingdom. That might be your dominant side. Maybe I'm not even mentioning something. But you have a, you know, a power, you have a thing that you can operate. You know you can move in that. And you said, hey... You need to cut that right eye. You need to cut that right hand. And he's saying you need to cut this part of your life off 
And so what you're left with is your left hand. What you're clumsy at. What you're awkward at. Isaiah 5.22 says, Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink. When I preached in Cameroon back in 2016, uh, I went over there and did their harvester's homecoming over there. And um, there was a party outside of my hotel room. There was a, it was a hotel room bar thing. And down the courtyard, I noticed that you know, as the party had progressed, they'd have all these liquor bottles and stuff, and, and, and they'd bring them more by, but they would never, I'm kind of looking down this whole thing happening, but they'd never take the empty bottles away. And so, and then I'm, we're driving through town, and I'd see these, you kind of look in these bars, and you drive by, and there's all these, like, liquor bottles on the table, and, and, and I, I said, man, they just, they never clean up things, do they? And the pastor was telling me, he says, hey, that's no accident. He said, when people party here, they want people to know how much they drank. And so when they finish a bottle of booze, the, the, waitress, the waiter waitress doesn't take it away. They leave it on the table because they want all their friends to know, look how much we drank. Man, we drank this much tonight. And that's that scripture. Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. And so they're good at drinking wine. You ever talk to somebody, man, we drank a whole case last night. We drank a whole keg last night. And so that's, that's not a good fit for the kingdom. You might be good at it. You should see how good he rolls a joint, you know, does it perfectly. We used to marvel at guys that would roll, roll marijuana. Man they, man, they just roll that perfect, you know. That doesn't really translate in the kingdom, you know. And it's true that when we come in the kingdom, we feel awkward and coordinated, uncoordinated. It's like, it's a whole new life. It's like, what's brother? What's sister? What's, what's that? New terminology. Learning how to worship, you know. Start off half-masked, you know, and then you eventually put your hand. You know, it's, it's awkward in the beginning. You have to learn that. You have to learn how to worship, enter into the kingdom of God. I remember one time, I was, and I've seen this happen in church several times. One time I did, I got telling myself, you know, you get caught up in worship. You ever done this in like, I remember worship service, man, just start worshiping God, worshiping God, and had my eyes closed, uh, and I opened my eyes, and I was turned sideways. <laughs> you ever done that? I love you. Anyway, it happened to me. I said, man, I better open my eyes every once in a while when I'm worshiping God. You know, just, it's, I think it's unspiritual. See people turn around backwards or whatever. <laughs> Let's talk about what God calls us to do in his kingdom. You know, think about God, people that God called. Moses, Gideon. You know, what, what was their thing? Who am I? I can't speak. I'm from the, fallest, I'm from the smallest tribe. Nobody will listen to me. What about my past? You know, Paul, you know, all these, uh, all these things that they're saying, look, this isn't not something that I'm good at. Gideon, why are you talking to me about this? Gideon, you mighty mouth. Oh, you're talking to the wrong guy. I'm not good at this. And God didn't say, oh, oh, you're not good at it? I'm sorry. I'll go talk to somebody else. 
No, the thing is, God calls people to do things many times that they're awkward, feeling awkward about, feel fearful about, feel clumsy doing to develop us into what he's called us to do. You know, David was a shepherd, and he knew how to be a shepherd. But he talked about how God worked in his life, and God began to help him to be a military leader and a man of God that that was not just a shepherd of sheep, but a shepherd of the kingdom. In Psalm 18, 32-34, It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of deer and sets me on my high places. He teaches my hands to make war. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. And so David wasn't knowledgeable or coordinated in these areas before he became king. He was a shepherd. Our text in verse 6, it says, Then the lame shall leap like a deer. The lame, so the, the uncoordinated, the, the hindered, shall begin to be coordinated and leap like a deer. Psalm 144, verse 1, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. That David developed weak areas of his life to become the leader that he was. This skill was de- developed in David's life. You know, I thought about myself. You know, I did not want public ministry. I wanted to just be in the background, serve God, be a blessing to the church, so God made it real. No, I want you to preach. No, thanks, God. I appreciate that, but I'm not in that. And then he made it real that I'd be disobeyed if I didn't do it. So, you know, he, he coaxed me into it. He rather drove me into it, you know, with making me know I was going to disobey if I didn't do it, you know. So uh, it was awkward for me. It was not my comfort zone. Jesus Vicera, you know, passed on many years ago, was a powerful preacher a powerful evangelist, a powerful missionary, a powerful pastor. But when he got saved, he couldn't read. He could not read. I mean, not, not, not read, he couldn't read. He learned how to read so he could become a pastor and a missionary and evangelist. He developed that weak side of his life and became a very powerful man of God. You know, God didn't excuse Moses or Gideon or Paul or anybody else because uh, I'm not good at that. Uh, That's not my comfort zone. Could be social awkwardness. Step on some toes here. I'm not good at making conversation. I'm kind of awkward at that. I don't know how to talk to people. Read a book. How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Hallelujah. What I'm saying is, listen, listen, this is what I'm saying, is that you can't just dismiss an area of your life and say, well, I'm not good at that. That's not my thing. I don't have to pay attention to that. If you're going to get through life, you're going to have to develop some weak areas of your life. If you're going to prosper in life, you're going to have to confront some of your awkwardness and, 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 and weak areas of your life because life presents itself with all kinds of areas uh, 
that are not developed that you will have to develop. I'll move on. I like it. Tongue of the dung, the tongue of the dumb will sing, it says in verse 6. You know, Sierra was here singing Sunday morning. By the way, great job, Danny, with the, with the accompanying instrument there. Hallelujah. That was by the, on the fly. But, uh, but she was here, you know, Sunday, Sunday night, rather. And, you know, Mike Jones was telling me that when she was a child, she, he had never heard her sing. They had a karaoke party somewhere. And they were trying to get her to go, but she wouldn't do it. She gets up, she starts singing karaoke, and everybody's like, stops, you know? Whoa, what's this? Sierra, if you knew her, she doesn't like the limelight. She's not like, I can't wait to be on stage. She's like, I don't want this. But she developed that, that area of her life. And man, what a powerful gift she has. Listen, there's people here You've given up on certain things that you feel a stirring to because you're not naturally good at it. You're not naturally good. It's, 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 it's a lame area of your life. I'm so lame at that. The Bible says he'll make the lame leap like a deer. Habakkuk 3.19 says, The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on a high hill, on my high heels. High hills, not high heels. <laughs> that could be really, that could go a wrong way there, couldn't it? He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on high hills, mountains. Do you have that video? Do you have it? I want, I want to just show you this. This is, uh, probably so many of you have seen this. Let's go ahead and, it's just about two minutes, but make my feet like deer's feet will make me walk on my high heels not going to work okay all right if you can get it up and going just signal me but um you know, how many great musicians, singers, people that do different things developed that in the church? You know, that was something that was an awkward area of their life, but they just, they said, hey, can you help us with this and do this? And it's like, well, I'm not really good at that, but I'll do it. You know, some people have found the gift of teaching. Hey, can you fill in for Sunday school this morning? So-and-so sick. Hey, can you, you know, and all of a sudden they, Hey, that's not really, I'm not really good at that. But they stepped, they stepped in and developed that area. And all of a sudden, man, they realized, hey, God began to coordinate them. And suddenly that became their dominant arm. Here we go. So. First time I saw this, I freaked me out. baby
That's a dam, by the way. The Ibex eventually make it to the prize. Salt from the earth, dissolved in water, continues on its journey into their bodies. Where it's used in the nerves and muscles that control dexterous pincer-like moves. Vital ingredients carried around by a simple molecule with remarkable properties. So that's on the side of a dam, and it's like these, these they go up there to get the salt. The salt comes out of this dam, and it's necessary for their growth and development, and they, they get up there. But the way they walk, you know, it says he'll make the, the lame leap like a deer. You know, like hinds feet on, uh, you'll make me, make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on my high heels. That's, that's what David's talking about. He would observe animals like this walking on rocks and crevices. And how I many you know, you, that takes some coordination, man. That takes some skill that has to be developed. But, you know, that's life is that you're going to have to take some weak areas of your life. If you're going to get to the heights that God wants to bring you to, you're going to have to develop some weak areas of your life. Getting married? <laughs> I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to be a husband. I don't know how to be a wife. Well, you better learn. You're going to die. <laughs> Becoming a parent? I remember when we brought Wesley home, our first child. I remember getting home. I mean, Venice wasn't freaked out. I was like, she was a natural mom. But I remember saying, like, what do we do now? You know? I didn't know where you're supposed to. It's like, you know, we got this kid we're supposed to take care of. You know, it's like, what? this baby is so fragile. What are we going to do? I wasn't, like, skilled at that. I wasn't, like, you know, naturally coordinated. But God begins to teach. Oh, okay, put the bottle in. All right. You know, so, you know pat him on the back, burp him, you know. So you, know, you learn. And so that's, that's what God's called us to do. Finally, you know, you can do things you don't think you can do. Here, here's, a, here's a rocker story. Joe Walsh, who uh, played with the Eagles and played in a band I used to listen to way back in the 70s, the James Gang, uh, played almost his whole career stoned and drunk. And so there was a point in his life where he really had an encounter with God and got sober. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he's still sober today. He'd been sober for like 20 years. And so, uh, but when he first got sober, he said he wasn't sure he could play when he was sober. He had never played or performed sober. He'd never written music sober. He, he said, I don't know if I can do this. And he found out that he could. It wasn't his natural strength, but he learned how to do it. And, 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 you know, has a good life today. Now, is he saved? I, I don't know where that's all at. 
but uh, but he's been he's been sober for many years and uh, seems to be very happy and so I want to end tonight just talk about the joy of strengthening our weakness verse 10 the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing with everlasting joy in their heads they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away you know when you develop an area of weakness in your life it can become a great joy when I got saved, my weakness was my addiction. But I remember as, you know, getting saved, yes, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, God moved in my life in a powerful way, but I still had to deal with that weakness. I still had to deal with that thing. But I remember just many days after I got clean and sober, coming off of drugs and uh, just driving down the road, hearing a song on the radio and just weeping, you know, just so grateful that I was not dependent on that anymore. And that I was, you know, I was living a life of freedom and liberty. And, and the joy that, that, that comes from you when you deal with the weakness in your life, when you stop ignoring it and stop denying it and you deal with it, there's a great joy in that. Hebrews 11, 32-34, final scripture, and then I'm going to have a quote. But uh, it talks about the hall of faith. It says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail uh, me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Out of weakness were made strong. And so what he's saying is that God strengthened that area of their weakness. And that turned the tide in their faith. It turned the tide in the victories of God. You know, part of our church growing will depend on people rising to places of ministry. This means some people overcoming weaknesses and strengthening those areas so they can minister to others. You know, God's calling many people here, I believe, to rise up out of your weakness, to develop, to deal with it, to address it instead of tolerating it. Just saying, well, grace of God's going to help. How about dealing with it? How about confronting it head on? You know what, God, I'm going to focus on this. You're going to help me with this. You're going to lift me out of this. Devotional. I read Tuesday, yesterday morning, and it's from the first 15. It says, the strength of God is always with you. All you have to do is choose his ways over your own. Live in the light of the revelation of your own weakness and God's strength, and, uh, and you will experience the power of the creator of the universe working directly in your own life. Ask the spirit to guide you and work in any and every situation you find yourself in. Ask him to guide your words, actions, mindsets, and emotions that you might live entirely in his strength. And he's talking about, hey, don't do what you want to do. Address that weakness in your life. And, and obviously, this is, you know, three steps forward, two steps back, or whatever. But don't, don't just excuse it. Deal with it. Amen. Let's bow our heads.
appreciate your patience tonight. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Just before we go any further in the service tonight, I just wonder, is anyone here tonight you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Perhaps tonight you are backslidden in your heart and you need the forgiveness and grace and restoration of God. You need the blood of Jesus to wash you of your sins and to restore you into his kingdom. He's here tonight. His presence is here to minister to you. If you'll open your heart. If you'll repent, if you'll turn to him, he will change your life. If that's you this evening, you're not right with God, you're unsaved, you're backslid, you need Christ. And slip up your hand, put it right back down. Will there be one here this evening? You need God. Slip up your hand right now. God sees that hand, young man. Hallelujah. Anybody else? church tonight, I really felt just led to uh, preach this tonight. I've had many times in my own life where I've dismissed weaknesses, where I've said things like, well, that's just not my gift. You know, you're good at that. And so I've kind of used that as an excuse in my life. Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to deal with that. I'm not going to address that. That's not just not my thing. It's not my gift. And it's true that there are some places where we operate in our gifts and we operate in our strengths. I'm not denying that tonight. But what I am saying is that there's some things that, we're, that are lame in our life. There's some weaknesses that can cause us to be dislocated. That if we don't address them, if we don't strengthen them, if we don't pay attention to them, that they can sabotage our faith and our walk with God. And so God commands us to take a look at these things, to, to develop these things, to, to apply his grace to these things. Yes, that may never be our full strength, but that does give us an excuse to, well, I don't have to look at that. I don't have to deal with that. It's just a weakness. And we use that as an excuse. So, amen. We're going to stand. Maybe God's dealing with you about an area of your life that you kind of just dismiss and uh, maybe it's a, a habit. Maybe it's uh, just another area that you feel like you don't have to pay attention to because it's not your thing. Maybe he's t asking you to turn and take a, take a look at that. Let him, uh, that you would ask him to help you in that arena. I believe God will move for you.